This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. The movie Shortcomings is a tart comedy about a cynical cinephile with a lot of hangups. Ben hates his job and is emotionally checked out of his relationship with his longtime girlfriend. And when the couple goes on a hiatus, he's forced to confront unresolved insecurities tied to his Asian American identity. The movie is directed by Randall Park, and it has a lot to say about interracial dating and intraracial conflict. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Shortcomings on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. It tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is writer Kat Chow. Welcome back, Kat. Hi, thank you for having me on. Great to have you. Also joining us is writer and critic Walter Chow. Welcome back to you too, Walter. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Ooh, two Chows, different spellings. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two Chows today. Um, so in Shortcomings, Justin H. Min plays Ben, a miserable dude who's at an impasse in life. So he's on the outs with his girlfriend, Miko, played by Ali Maki. And instead of pursuing his dream of being a filmmaker, he's managing a struggling indie movie theater in Berkeley, California. Now, when Miko announces she's moving to New York for a few months for an internship, they decide to take a break. And Ben finds himself suddenly and very awkwardly (laughs) back out on the dating scene. Sherry Cola plays Ben's punchy best friend, Alice, and Tavi Devinson and Debbie Ryan appear as Ben's potential love interests, Autumn and Sasha. Adrian Tomina adapted the screenplay from his own graphic novel of the same name, and it's the directorial debut of actor Randall Park. Shortcomings is in theaters now. And we should also mention that we will be talking about some of the key moments throughout the film, maybe giving a little bit of the light spoilers, so be warned if you plan to watch later. So Kat, I want to start with you. What did you make of this film, especially Considering that we're coming at a time where we're getting a lot more voices from Asian American filmmakers Mm -hmm. and actors on screen, you know, how does this feel for you in this moment that we're having? I mean, in this moment, it was really neat just to see this 
more indie film with an Asian American cast, mostly grappling with Asian American issues that didn't have the normal beats of that immigrant story. So you have, you know, something related to family, something related to going home. And I'm not knocking those themes because I adore those also. And a lot of my book centers around that too, but it was refreshing to have that. And I sort of dug the unlikable, miserable characters, as you mentioned, Aisha. Yeah, yeah. Ben is, he is, he's a trip. He's a trip around the world and then some. He's a trip. He's that friend where he sort of gets grandfathered into the friend group, but everyone is sort of like, Ben, like, you need to go to therapy. Ben, you're exhausting. I can only hang out with you in one hour increments and I'm not going to go to a movie with you. <laughs> we yes. just cannot engage. Yes, we know those those friends. And yeah. We all hope to not be that friend. Yeah. <laughs> Walter, how about you? I read your review on Film Freak Central, and I learned so much from it. And I'm curious, can you elaborate more? Because I know you were not as into shortcomings as maybe Kat Mm. and I were. So tell us how you feel. Well, you know, I had a lot of issues with Ben, obviously. He's like the worst person I've seen in a movie for a long time. And I've been watching serial killer movies lately. So (laughs) I was like, wow. I understand why his girlfriend moved to New York because maybe she's a little bit afraid of him. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much like invested in the film more than the book even where, you know, making him this loner and and this weirdo that can't connect to other people, that lacks empathy and lacks introspection. Even at the very end of the film, I thought like, you know, there's this moment where a woman comes and asks if he's sitting by himself and he's he's got this, you know, oh, uh, she's into me moment. Even after he's being humbled for the whole duration of our time with him, he still is this weird narcissist who believes that women actually are interested in him. For, and the mm. movie kind of supports this idea that women are interested in him or that anyone is interested in him. And I, I'm having trouble with it because he's, he seems to me to be so noxious. Yeah. And I wonder if my real, like, revulsion with him isn't a lot of (laughs) self-loathing. Isn't like, God, I hope I'm not like that. Mm. Jeez, everything that he is is what I try to avoid being, but I fear that I am. And I wonder Mm. if the film is kind of just pinging on that for me. Like, Interesting. Why am I having such a strong reaction about this guy? Well, I like movies like Ben Luz, and there's a lot of aspects to Ben that make me uncomfortable about myself. And Mm. so – there's a possibility of the reason I'm reacting so strongly against him is that if you're like me, I guess, you tend not to like people who are like you mm. or that reminds you of the things that you don't like about yourself. So yeah. I'm being introspective about this. The more that we see this kind of representation, I think to your question, Aisha, is that all of a sudden I'm exposed on the street in a way that I never was before. Mm. These yeah. issues with my parents, these issues with you know generational trauma, all this stuff is like, wait a minute. I used to be able to just look at you know five different Chris's having existential problems, want to go to the movies. Now I'm looking at a Walter having an existential problem. And, you know, I'm, I'm married to a white woman, happily married for 25 years, and we have two kids. And, and the movie is so much about, you know, this Ben really resents it when Asian women date white men, but he really wants to date white women. And, you know, though these issues are raised. And for me, it's like, hey, is that me? Is, is that what happened here? Because I really love her. <laughs> you know, the, the hardwiring is difficult to attack when I see it reflected on screen. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, Walter, about just kind of worrying about seeing yourself in this movie too, one of the things that 
I really appreciated was in Hua Su's New Yorker profile of Randall Park. And he talks to Ronnie Chang, who has this early scene in Shortcomings where he's basically doing a riff or a satirical intro of Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, it's a movie within a movie. A movie within a movie where they're sort of poking fun at Crazy Rich Asians and the opulence and the capitalistic tendency. But Ronnie Chang, he's kind of grappling with the idea of how satirical is this movie shortcomings? What is the critique of it? But also about Ben's character. And there's a quote that really stuck with me because when I'm thinking about likability in terms of these fictional characters, I'm like, how provocative is this? Does it matter that I like them or not? What is this making me think about? Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, my tendency is to always be you know, reasonably afraid or reasonably uncomfortable of incel or MR Asians, you know, men's Mm. rights, Asian men who tend to have misogynistic tendencies and tend to often critique Asian American women. But the Ronnie Chan quote, I'd love to read it. It says, in the hands of a lesser director or lesser producer, this would become a weird incel self-hating Asian hating Asian. Cheng said, catching Park's eye. Thank God for the delicate hands of Mr. Park to come and thread that needle. And when I read that, I was wondering, I mean, did he thread that needle? And Mm -hmm. perhaps that's something we can discuss later. But Aisha, I'm so curious to hear what you thought of this. I mean, obviously, I'm not Asian American. But (laughs) I found it really fascinating because, as I kind of hinted at earlier, I feel like we're in this interesting moment where the conversations that I've been seeing and observing amongst my Asian American friends and also just reading about various conversations that have happened. There was like a New York Mag article a few years ago that came out about sort of diving into this very delicate issue around Asian American women, men and women and their sort of conflicts about dating outside of their race, specifically dating white people more so than anything else. And so we're in this moment where we're seeing this representation kind of trickling into films now and TV, like Beef, the Stephen Young character, it's not really hammered home, but it pops up a few times where he clearly has issues with white women and Asian people dating white women, but also he's attracted to them in the similar way that Ben is. It also shows up in Joyride a little bit where the characters, including Sherry Cola's character in that other movie, is ribbing the main character for never having dated an Asian guy. So like, it's really interesting to me that we're having these conversations because I think this is something that at least in Black spaces has popped up in movies and TV for forever mm-hmm. and has has shown up in ways that have been just as blunt, whether I think about something like Spike Lee's Jungle Fever. And so it was interesting to me to see it sort of, to me at least, and I have not seen every Asian American film that has ever been made, so perhaps this has come up before in the past. But noticing that it is kind of coming to the forefront now in a way is really interesting to me. And I think that's why especially the conversation that is had between Ben, the Sherry Cola character, and then Sherry Cola's girlfriend, who shows up later in the film. Loved her yes. so much. Amazing. So towards the you know last third of the film or so, there's a conversation that Ben has with Alice and Meredith, who's Alice's girlfriend, played by Sonoya Mizuno. And she's half white and half Asian, and he's kind of grilling her. And Ben, being a terrible person, as along the lines of like, how do you feel about your mother possibly being a fetish for your white dad? Yes. Which is Which a is terrible like, thing to say. Making terrible it so thing personal. to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. When when you're asking Kat about like, did Randall Park and, you know, the, the writer, Adrian Tomina, 
thread the the needle, it seems like, Walter, maybe you don't think they did. And there is a quote from Randall Park where he did an interview with Washington Post around the time that the Sundance premiere happened, where he says, I didn't want the movie to take a stance on anything. I just wanted these characters to take their stances on things. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though that maybe is the issue for you, Walter? I mean, maybe there is a little bit of self-loathing there, but also like there's a difference between a movie and a filmmaker taking a clear stance and then the character taking the stance. Is that maybe something that you are feeling that yeah. sort of tension? I, I guess a couple things there. Like I, I really, that's my least favorite answer that a filmmaker gives when they're asked mm, about what yeah. the movie's about. Yeah. Or you're just not aware of the stand that you're taking when you say that you're not taking one. If you, you don't acknowledge what your point of view is, you're either being dishonest or you've lost control of what your point of view is. And I think ultimately, you know, the answer to, to the question of does he thread the needle? For me, he didn't. I mean, there is self-loathing that wraps up in there that makes me dislike him, but he's also essentially dislikable. You know, the ones that I noted most, the changes from the novel to the film are designed to make Ben more loathsome. Hmm. You know, the, the fight with the boyfriend on the street is is very, very brief in the novel. In the film, it, it protracts. It allows Ben to say a few more terrible things, make terrible assumptions, you know, and they've really expanded on the Autumn character in the film. And it's to the detriment of everyone, I think. And, you know, I don't want things spelled out for me. I, I don't need that or, or desire it. I like obscure and strange films. All You know, I like experimental movies. But th- this is a movie, I think, that lacks a real clear North Star, are you offering Ben a second chance? Because at the end of the film, you know, Alice, who we, I love Sherry Cola. Yeah, I love, so love Sherry Cola time. so much. Amazing. So good. So good. I loved seeing her in this role too, where she gets to be super desirable. Yes. And, and I totally see it. She can be a serial dater. I get it. She's a magnetic personality. And at the end of it, she offers a lifeline to Ben. There's no second chances offered in the book. You know, I'm not the guy that read the book and loved it for 20 years and came to the movie. I I read the book yesterday (laughs) because I knew I was going to be talking Mm -hmm. about the film. And the book just ends with ambiguity. Like, this is a guy at a crossroads who really has to begin to grapple with some of his demons if he ever wants to be something other than miserable and not alone. And the film is like, you can be whatever you want to be, man. We got this amazing person who loves you. And we'll offer you endless lifelines. To She's going to come out and we're going to drive back to New York together. And maybe you'll crash on the couch and we'll be the irascible weirdo that lives. In my- I was like, wait a minute. Why is the redemption being offered to someone who's not really yeah. earned it? it? It seems scary to me, I guess. And, and not, not, not complete. I mean, I saw that ending as more you know, unclear and more open, where he is offered this sense of redemption. But that sense of redemption is not definite. Mm -hmm. Is he going to make the choice where, I mean, I don't want to spoil the ending, but he is given a choice where it's that typical, you know, rom-com scene where the man tries to go pursue his lover, which like, you know, that one last college try, so to speak, which in a lot of ways, if he had followed through with it, could read as a bit in Sally, where you're not truly listening to your ex's desires and you're not giving her the space she needs to be her own person. I mean, I think it leaves the viewer with the question of how far is he going to continue in this direction? How far is he going to continue to see women in general as people who have their own sense of agency that isn't related to him? And there is that sense of ambiguity where, Walter, you mentioned this airport scene where he sees a woman's attention as directed at him when it truly Mm -hmm. isn't. But I truly felt that, that this ending was at this crossroads where... 
this is the type of man who is going to have to go through so much to interrogate himself and why he alienates so many people in his life. Yes, he has Sherry Cola as this loving friend, but he's also a complete asshole to her, blowing up her spot with this woman that she's in love with, needling in so many ways. And there's a scene where Meredith, the girlfriend of Sherry Cola's character, Alice, where Alice kind of makes apologies for Ben, saying, Meredith, I'm so sorry that you're meeting Ben at this point in his life. And Ben is like, no, I mean, I think you would hate me anyway. And that sort of acknowledgement, there's a tension there where he's self-aware, but is he going to do anything about it? And that, to me, is the question that the movie ends on. You know, I I think that's a great point. I love that you mentioned the airport scene and the scene right before that where he does sort of the last chance, you know, the rom-com convention of you're riding a horse onto a bridge or whatever, you're going to go and do the last thing. It landed with me in a different way. When I was watching it, what I saw instead was a guy who had just had this really terrible, abusive argument with a clear ex, which he's throwing out all these accusations and being personally dismissive and horrible. And at the end of it, trying to manage the situation again, saying, look, this is just what we do. We just kind of get up in our feelings and then we just, come on, let, let's go through it. And she laughs at him and sort of is like, yeah. you know, I'm just so happy we never have to do this again. And I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. You are free. Yeah. yeah. And the very next scene, <laughs> he's stalking her and he's watching her. And it is creepy. It's very creepy. Yeah. And I love that he makes the right choice by like just saying, God, what am I doing? I'm going to go to the airport. I'm going to go home. But then at the airport, there's that scene that we're talking about in which he again mistakes a woman's attention for him. But I think progress isn't linear, right? And I think mm. I, I yeah. do wonder if it would feel less true if all of a sudden it's very clear that this has only been a matter of a couple of days. It doesn't have a title screen where it's like six months later, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I think it would have felt a little more false if she had been interested in him or if like he had just been like, you know, ignoring her in a way. I think that sort of, to me, is what makes this very flawed character at least feel real and messy Mm -hmm. because incels and all those adjacent (laughs) like men, that it's not going to just take one catastrophic ending of a relationship for them to suddenly just realize, oh, I see the error in my ways now. I need to do better. (laughs) Right. You're totally right. You know, I I think it's absolutely authentic, but the way that it's going is is doom and horror. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't feel empathy for him. At the end of the day, all of those complications about this character don't fit for me in mm. sort of a like Annie Hall. Say mm. say that Annie Hall was made today. What's the feeling that we have about that movie as opposed to when it was released in like seventy seven, right? We know too much now about this character. We know too much about this kind of person. We know too much about the kind of games that these men are playing with these women that they don't deserve. And that's what it feels like to me. It's like okay, you're making an Asian Annie Hall, but He's just creepy for me. And it's like, there are really great issues in this film. (laughs) There's so many interesting things that are raised by this film. And I wish that there was a clearer, um, yeah, maybe I just wanted my my hand held a little bit more in terms of like feeling like, please don't tell me that this is a movie about an incel. Please don't tell me that this is the character and this is the arc of it. I I think in general, I'm, I mean, with the Barbie movie too, 
I like, <laughs> these are interesting incel vibe ish movies, oh, and yeah. sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really need that in my life. But I did want to sort of pivot to Randall Park in general as a director. I am just fascinated by Randall Park's career and trajectory. Where the first time I really, you know, got to know him as an actor was through Fresh Off the Boat, where he plays this dad. And I mean, being a sitcom dad is not really the most wide ranging acting choice or role that you can have. And I mean, I, I'd seen him in the interview where he plays Kim Jong-un with um, Seth Rogen and James Franco. And the next one that I saw was Always Be My Maybe. And seeing Randall Park come into his own with, it is a choice to go from Always Be My Maybe to making this movie, mm-hmm. which is in a lot of ways, very dark. And in a lot of ways, it is the antithesis of Crazy Rich Asians and also Fresh Off the Boat, where that movie, that TV show really nods to the idea of rep sweats, the idea of there's so few of this Asian American thing or this thing that represents my quote unquote people that I have to like it, even if it's kind of you know, not my jam. Wait, it's called rep sweats? Rep sweats. Yeah, like representation sweats. Holy, I have <laughs> never heard this before. I love this. <laughs> I want to use this all the time now. Yes. Yeah, so rep sweats is a term um, coined by Jenny Yang, the comedian. And oh, actress. Jenny. She's great. Yeah. And um, Phil Yu from Angry Asian Man, where they coined it during the time of Fresh Off the Boat, where there was just this big question of like, this isn't really my thing, maybe, but we also want to support it and we want it to win because there's this scarcity mentality. So, Mm. I mean, to my point, though, it's really interesting seeing Randall be attached to projects like that, where, I mean, there is this critique of maybe I don't like this, but I still want it to win. And then now also doing (laughs) another version of it, but that's on the other side of the spectrum. I mean, it is uncomfortable in its representations of Asian Americans versus something kind of glowing and softer a la Fresh Off the Boat. For Randall Park to sort of be like, I'm going to take control as much as I can about this narrative, and I'm going to say and make my own production. Exactly, company. I'm going to yeah. make my own production yeah. company. I'm going to hire my own thing. I'm going to realize this dream of 20 years of making this really difficult, oblique, elliptical novel about it, a difficult person, and I'm going to do that because we have to have a place where we have a voice, and that's where my rep sweats come in a little bit. Where I say I really see the value of a movie like Shortcomings, and it really makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is the value of it. Yeah, maybe. Well, we clearly have a lot of thoughts on this film, but this is at least a movie worth checking out and maybe arguing about with your friends. Because, I don't know, I found this very, very fascinating and I loved hearing you both talk about it. And I want to know what you think about Shortcomings once you've seen it. You should definitely find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Cat Chow, Water Chow, Thanks so much for being here and also for introducing the term rep sweats to me because now I'm just going to be using it everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Thank you for having two chows on. I know. What a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Maybe we need um, another one where we have a third chow on. There there are a lot of us. That's a pretty common last name. (laughs) Let's let's manifest this. Let's make it happen. (laughs) 
And we want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and Ramel Wood and edited by Mike Katzev. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks so much for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice, but you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.